Hi. We are continuing our series today on dangerous faith. We're looking at the story of the early church in the book of Acts in the Bible. We're also looking at parallels with Christians in different parts of the world today and what it means in our own context. Now we've been hearing about the first church and how they were telling people the good news about Jesus and going around doing miraculous signs and wonders. It sounds great, doesn't it? But actually they face some opposition. And we're going to be reading today from the book of Acts and chapter 8. So go and grab your Bible if you've got one. And if you haven't got one, why don't you download one maybe on your phone or um, on your computer? Or if you'd like a paper copy and you haven't got one, email our office and we would love to send you one. Last week in the story, we heard about a guy called Stephen. He was a follower of Jesus and he was telling people all about Jesus. And this wasn't very well received and actually he was arrested and then he was stoned to death. And in the Bible, it tells us there was a guy called Saul who was there watching what was going on. We hear about Saul again today. Saul goes on to play a big part in this part of the Bible, but this is kind of where he's introduced. And this is where we pick up in Acts chapter eight. Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And we're going to go on to verse 12. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptised. And now we're going to watch the next video from Open Doors, where Ron describes some of that story. When everything goes wrong, when the enemies triumph, when all the weaknesses surface, when cancer strikes, when the bribed judge gets away with it, when the killer walks free, is God still at work? Is his kingdom still growing? Or could it be that even when you feel your life is being smashed apart, God is spreading his good news in a powerful new way? That's the good news about persecution. But it never feels like good news at the time. Years ago when I was traveling in China, I met someone who had known the great Chinese leader watchman Ni. Ni was one of the great figures of Chinese church history, the first man really to establish the house churches of China. He told me about one famous incident. The government was starting to crack down and Ni needed to gather all the leaders together to tell them how to negotiate these tough times. So he arranged for them all to come, I think it was to Shanghai, and he would speak to them. The police got wind of this meeting 
and they arranged to attend in plain clothes. And the moment Nee spoke would be the signal to rush the platform and arrest him. Now, Watchman Nee was told of this, and he was advised not to come. But he desperately wanted to give some guidance to his followers. Times were hard. Times were going to get harder. They needed to hear some advice from the great man. So this is what he did. Nee came onto the platform. He just strode to the lectern. And then all he did was just look at everybody. Didn't say a word. For five whole minutes, he just looked at the audience. And they began to wonder, has he lost his nerve? Does he know what's going to happen to him if he speaks? And then he put on a very angry face and he picked up the glass that was full of water for the speaker and he dashed it onto the platform. And he crunched the glass, looking smug with his work. And everybody wondered, what's he doing? What's going on? Then he stopped and he looked down at the pieces. His face began to change from hatred to horror. He held his hands to his temple. How could I have been so stupid? His expression seemed to say. And he got down on his hands and knees and began to pick up the pieces of the smashed glass. And he tried to put the glass back together again. Of course, this was futile. But he tried for five minutes. And then he gave up and walked off. He hadn't said a word, so the police couldn't act. But everybody, all the church leaders in that meeting, knew exactly what he had said. And I remember this man that I met. He said, Nee was acting out a parable. He represented the state, and the glass was the church. And the time would come when the state would smash the church. And that would be hard to live through, but it was coming. But then, the state would realize that it had made a mistake because in smashing the church, it had not destroyed it. It had just dispersed it underground where it was beyond state control. And so the state would realize its mistake and try to reconstitute the glass, try to bring the church back up to the surface where it could see what was going on. And he said it would fail because the smashing had been too thorough. Never again would the state be able to control the church. And that is exactly what happened. That's how it played out historically. Mao Zedong came along and he smashed the churches in China. But the Christians went into the homes and there the gospel became part of Chinese culture, embedding itself in families, sitting rooms, apartment blocks in a way that missionaries had only dreamt of for centuries. One Shanghai pastor put it this way, before the early 1960s, we practiced Christianity in churches and hardly anywhere else. After the persecutions, we practiced it in our homes and therefore everywhere else. It took a smashing. And that's one of the stories that explains how China experienced such a massive revival. And that is a contemporary rerun of what happens in the book of Acts. 
From chapter 1 to chapter 6, everything goes great for the early church in Acts. The action all occurs in Jerusalem, there's growth, there's healing, and the church keeps on expanding. But the Holy Spirit knows something that the apostles did not, that if the people of God stayed in Jerusalem, then the gospel of God would die in Jerusalem. Because at this point, the apostles have no idea that Gentiles should also believe in Jesus. They thought the gospel was just for Jews. So in chapter 7, there comes a smashing. Stephen is put on trial, and following his martyrdom, we read that a great wave of persecution rose up. And then we see the line added, all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And so we see that persecution always does two things as it scatters believers. One, power gets shifted downwards to people who've never had it before. So who becomes the first man to take the gospel to a non-Jew? Well, it's not an apostle because they were staying in Jerusalem. It was a deacon whose name was Philip. Now, that wouldn't have happened if there hadn't been this smashing. In Jerusalem, the apostles were the teachers and evangelists. The deacons, they were in charge of the fabric and the food. Persecution changes all that. Power shifts downwards to people who've never had it before. Philip finds himself able to preach, and he is the first cross-cultural missionary of the church. He wasn't ordained. He shouldn't have done it. The Holy Spirit doesn't care. And the second great gift of persecution is not only that power gets shifted downwards to people who've never had it before, but people get pushed outward to places they've never been before. Who does Philip share this gospel with? He shares it with the Samaritans. And they were half Jews, but very despised in Jerusalem. The hatred between Jew and Samaritan ran very deep, like enmity between Catholic and Protestant, maybe in Northern Ireland. It would never have crossed Philip's mind to share Jesus with the Samaritans if he'd stayed in Jerusalem. But because he found himself on the run in Samaria, he preached and suddenly, he realizes Jesus died for Samaritans too. So it was in China. The gospel goes down to the people who've never had it before, ordinary people, and to places where it's never been before, the family unit. And from that came the world's largest revival. But it took a smashing. Behind all this lies a very disturbing question though. Why does the church appear to need a smashing or persecution or hard times in order to share the gospel? And this is one of the most sobering truths of the Bible. God's people have a fatal tendency to try to keep God to themselves. If you want to say God is for everyone, you encounter very often the most resistance from the people of God themselves. A smashing. It often takes a smashing. But that's how the good news jumps a barrier. That's how the good news gets from Jerusalem to Rome. That's how the good news gets from a Jewish enclave to the center of the Gentile world. It took a smashing. It's hard news, 
but it's good news. Listen for the crunch. It's good news. It's a good sound. It's the gospel getting out. I don't know about you, but I'm finding these videos very inspiring and hugely challenging. And if you'd like to watch that one or any of the other ones again, they're available on the Open Doors websites. And in our life groups this week, we're going to be discussing them further. And so if you are part of a life group, great, you'll have some chance to chat about it. And if you haven't joined a group yet, it's not too late. You can find them online on our web website. But as we think about that passage today, there are a couple of different things that strike me. The first is that the disciples have been meeting together really regularly. They've been meeting together every day, it tells us earlier on in Acts. They've been experienced just experiencing some of the fun of life with Jesus. They were seeing miracles happen, people's lives being changed, things being provided for when they needed it. What an adventure to be on. And yet in the midst of that, things have started to get dramatic, extreme, and it's terribly painful. And we hear that Philip goes on to do some signs and wonders, but the context for that is trial and pain and destruction. And I was, I was thinking about this passage this week. I thought perhaps maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you're not being persecuted for your faith, but maybe in this season you are trying to follow Jesus and you are in a, in a time that you would say was a real trial. It's really extreme, it's really intense. It might feel like your life is breaking apart because of the circumstances that you're in. And as Ron said, for the church in China, it didn't feel like good news at the time, but that's how the good news got out. In the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their trouble and trial, God was at work. And I just wanna encourage us today you know, if we're trying to follow Jesus, there are times when we go through trial and real difficulty, and perhaps you're experiencing that now. But in the midst of those times, God is still at work. And I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to hold on. I want to encourage you that God can bring good out of tragedy. The early church, the Chinese church, didn't know how that was gonna happen. And yet God did it. And that's what he loves to do today. So take courage, press on, hold on. The second thing that struck me about this passage is that it's actually ordinary people who go and tell the good news. You know, in the message version of the Bible, um, it says that forced to leave home base, the Christians all became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the good news about Jesus. And if you remember, we talked about Philip being the first guy to go and talk to the Samaritans. They were people that the Jews hated. And yet that's where he was scattered. He was scattered to Samaria. And on the way, he told people the good news about Jesus. Now, the thing about Philip is that he wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't one of the kind of disciples who'd been around Jesus. He was a really practical guy. In our church, we have a storehouse. We have a place where we give away food and clothes to people in the community who need it. We have a regular team who serve there throughout the year and during lockdown we've had an enhanced team with extra volunteers coming to help and do deliveries and we're so grateful to all of you. And you know I know a number of people on that team and people who serve in that kind of place 
are usually not the show-offs and the flashy ones and the ones who want to be heard, but they're just the quiet, practical, get on with it, compassionate servants. And that's what I think Philip was probably like. He was a, a making it happen kind of person, a get on with it kind of guy. And yet when he was scattered, he, an ordinary guy, told people the good news about Jesus. And perhaps you think, well, actually, I'm not a missionary. I don't want to preach. I would never choose to be on a stage. Now, it doesn't tell us that Philip spoke at length with all kinds of illustrations and three-point sermons and everything begins with the same letter or however it is that you like to construct a good talk. He just told people the good news about Jesus. And in fact, as you look forward through Acts, Philip comes up a few times. And today in our kids' church online, the children were looking at another time where he went on to tell somebody else about Jesus and the impact that that had. So this was just an ordinary guy who was just sharing the good news about Jesus. So what is the good news about Jesus and the good news about the kingdom? You know, in verse five, it says he told them the good news about the kingdom of God and about the name of Jesus Christ. And so very simply, the kingdom of God is the place where God rules and reigns, the place where he's in charge. What does the kingdom look like? It looks like God running everything and it's good. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're saying, God, please, in this situation, would you just come and take control? Because we know that when you do, things work out well. When Jesus walked this earth, he talked about and he demonstrated the kingdom. He said, look, stop putting yourself first. I'm inviting you to a new way, to a better way, to live God's way. It's not about keeping rules. It's having a relationship with the Father who loves you. And Jesus said, I've come to make that possible. And he showed them what it looked like. He went round healing people who were sick. He went round freeing people from the burdens of sin and concern and worry. He demonstrated God's love and mercy and justice and freed people from shame. He gave people a reason and a purpose to live. And today we're all invited into that kingdom, the place of putting God first and experiencing a relationship with the Father. And maybe today that's what you're looking for, for peace, for forgiveness, to know that you're loved, to know that you've got a purpose. All of these things are found in God through Jesus. And if that's what you want, if you want to stop living your way and you want to start living God's way, then there's an opportunity to do that a bit later in the service. But you know, as well as being invited into the kingdom for ourselves, we're also given the job of telling other people this good news, the good news that when God is in charge, life is a whole lot better. We know that relationship, that peace and contentment. And in fact, in Acts chapter one, slightly earlier in the book, This is just before Jesus goes up to heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is what he says. He tells them to wait. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I don't know whether you notice, but in the passage we read in in Acts chapter 8, This is where the believers were scattered. They started off in Jerusalem and they were actually scattered through Judea and Samaria and then onwards 
and they told the good news about Jesus when they went. Now maybe you'd never choose to talk on a stage and you feel like you don't really know what you'd say to share the good news about Jesus like Philip did. Maybe you're worried that you get caught up in your words or you don't have the right kind of ins and outs of all the theology or you might say something that was just downright wrong or confusing. Well, actually getting it right isn't what needed. The good news about Jesus isn't that we get it right all the time. It's not that our lives are sorted. It's not that um, it's not to do with us at all, actually. The good news about Jesus is all about him. And so if you know him, then whatever you know about him is the good news that you can share with other people. Now, as I was thinking about this this week, I just got in touch with some friends in the church family and I said, would you be kind enough to record a little video and let me know what the good news of Jesus means to you? And so this is what they said. The good news of Jesus for me is he was real, he existed, he walked this earth and he's alive and with me right now. He stuck with me even when I've rejected him and turned my back on him. And he's going to be with me right to the end of my days. And that I know, because that's what he promised. His love, his faithfulness, his constancy, the fact that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. So what the good news of Jesus means to me is that I feel totally accepted the way I am, knowing that that's the way Jesus made me and that he loves me for just who I am. And I feel very secure in that. That I don't have to explain myself to him, that he just knows all about me and still loves me anyway. So when I feel hurt, when I feel condemned, when I feel lost, I know that God sent Jesus to me to uh, save me. And when that goes from uh, my head down to my heart, that makes all the difference. When I read that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, something quickened in me and I knew then that I was going home, that I had found the truth. And Jesus has rescued me from myself and from my pitiful state, my pitiful broken heart. I hadn't realised how bad it was. And um, I'm beginning to find more freedom because of what Jesus did. So he is my rescuer and uh, yeah, it's great. I get it wrong with my wife, I get it wrong with the kids, I get it wrong with uh, friends and family. Um, and yet there's forgiveness. There is a, a God out there who loves you so much that he will forgive everything because he is more interested in building a relationship with you than holding things against you. Even when I don't know what the path forward in life is, I know I've got a father in heaven who loves me and is seeking my best and will guide me through the unknowns and I can be certain of his love for me and that he will guide me into good things. It's the unfailing nature of the love of God that is not based on anything I've done or I haven't done, but purely on His grace and sovereignty. The good news of Jesus for me is all about John 10 verse 10. I've come to give you life. With Jesus, it brings hope, it brings peace, 
and it brings fulfillment. He is my friend, absolutely foremost my friend, constant companion, um, uh, guide, supporter, and really most merciful redeemer um, and my saviour. Jesus is alive and began a revolution of renewed life. God's spirit is still active and bit by bit he's changing me from the inside out. I'm never alone, that the Lord is always with me and if I'm afraid he reminds me that the perfect love of God casts out all fear. It gives my life meaning and purpose and hope for the future. Seeing hope where there's hopelessness, uh, seeing joy where there's grief and seeing that transformation and change for me and for those around me is, is really the good news at the moment. Jesus is my light and he brings hope into the very most difficult situations. When I can't see where I'm going, for circumstances around me, he's there holding my hand and taking me on the path that's the best way to go. I've had a few problems with health over the years and in November we were given quite a difficult um, diagnosis, I suppose. But you know, Jesus, as you bring Jesus into those situations, the despair and the um, darkness goes and he brings hope and you can trust him. You can trust him with everything. The good news of Jesus for me at this time is that the joy of the Lord is my strength. The Lord has given me an amazing gift of unconditional joy springing up from the very core of me and shining out from every part of me. For me, the amazing love of Jesus is also in his faithfulness and the fact that he's always there with me um, and that nothing can separate me from his love and that I don't have to earn it, I just have to accept it. Having Jesus in my life enables me to walk in Father's love and to move into everything that he has for me. I'm never alone. He's with me 24 seven 365 days of the year, through good or bad. The good news of Jesus in my life is he loves me just the way I am and I can speak to him anytime. He is in every single moment um, of every day. And to me, that is the goodness and beauty of God. Thank you so much, everyone. I found it really moving hearing your stories and in fact, we had to edit them, some of them quite a lot. And so we're gonna be putting out some extended versions on Instagram and on Facebook over the next couple of weeks. So do keep an eye on there. But I found it really moving because I thought, well, these are friends of mine. I know each of these people. And I know the impact that God has had, that Jesus has had in many of their lives. Many of them are not in situations which are particularly easy at the moment. There is challenge going on. There is stress, there are situations that they would rather avoid. And yet in the middle, they can tell the truth about who they know Jesus to be. Now at the end of Ron's video, he said something that I found really challenging. He said, why does the church need smashing? Why does it need persecution and hard times? 
And do you remember what his reason was? He said, because God's people have a fatal tendency to keep God to themselves. God's people, that's many of us, have a fatal tendency to keep God to themselves. So why do we do that? Maybe we just feel like we don't know the right things to say. Maybe we don't want to impose our views on other people. Perhaps we're afraid that they'll disagree or they'll be offended or maybe even that they'll reject us. But as I said before, the good news isn't that we have it all sorted. The good news is that God loves us, he's with us and he's changing us. And so how else will our friends, our families, how else will other people find out about Jesus if we don't tell them? If the news about Jesus is good news, and I believe that it is, and so do those people who were on the screen, then why wouldn't we tell other people and give them the opportunity to know him too? To experience forgiveness from guilt and from shame, to know that freedom from burdens and worries, to know the peace that passes all understanding, to know the friend who loves you and is with you all the time. So this week I have a challenge for us, church, and that's to share the good news of Jesus and the kingdom. A friend of mine says that she goes around gossiping the gospel. And my challenge is this, please think about what the good news of Jesus means to you in this circumstance, in lockdown, wherever you are, whatever it is that you're doing. And then if you are somebody who uses social media, why don't you record a short video and put it on Facebook or put it on Instagram? Or if that's not your thing, why don't you write a letter to a friend or a card? Or why don't you just chat to a neighbour and tell them the good news that Jesus means to you? I'm not saying you have to convince them. You certainly don't have to shove anything kind of down their neck. It's their choice whether or not they receive what you have to say and whether or not they choose to believe. But why don't you take the step and tell them and then invite them if they'd like to find out more. They could come and be part of an alpha course. We can, um, you can help them further on their journey if that's what they'd like to do. And perhaps today you are looking for freedom from guilt. You're looking for peace. You're looking to know a friend who's with you all the time. And if you'd like to start a journey with God, Mark, in his video, described how to do that really well. The gospel, or the good news, for me, is the good news of Jesus Christ. That in him, God became human and joined himself with humanity forever to complete his plan that we, his children, could share in and participate in the life and love that is shared between the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The creator of the universe relentlessly pursues us in his love and rescues us from the lies that we believe that we are not loved, not accepted, uh, that God is far away and that we, that he is angry with us. Uh, I find this amazing that God is so passionate that he, he desires and wants a, a relationship with us and we were created for a living relationship with God and I'm spending the rest of my life trying to find out how that looks how that works day to day um, it, I think it's more than just inviting God into our lives the good news is that God has invited us into his life 
And so if you'd like to accept that invitation, that invitation into God's life, then why don't you pray with me now? Father God, I'm sorry for living life my way. I'm sorry for putting myself first. There are plenty of things I regret and I ask that you'd come and forgive me for those things. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that I could be forgiven and I could come back into relationship with you. And please will you come and fill me with your spirit and help me to live your way. Amen. And if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome into the family of God. And we would love it if you would be in touch with us. You might want to put a little message in the Facebook chat, or perhaps you would like to send an email to us at the office, hello at winvin.org.uk. And we can just help you a little bit further on your journey with God. And church, there are a number of us who have been following Jesus for a while longer than just these few moments. And I'd love to pray for us too. Because Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to come and he was going to fill us with power so we could go and be witnesses. We could go and tell the good news to the people around us. And you'll notice with Philip and with some of the others, they had power to see miracles and signs and wonders happen as they proclaim the good news about Jesus. And so I'd love to pray for us now that God would fill us again with his spirit, with his, with his presence that he'd give us courage to share the truth of who he is and he'd empower us to do that and we'd see signs and wonders as we go. So if that's something that you would like to engage in, then why don't you close your eyes, why don't you open your hands? It might be even you wanna stand up where you are or you might wanna go on your knees, but why don't we use our body posture as a way of reminding ourselves that we are in the presence of the living God who loves us. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we love you. Thank you so much for the good news that we've talked about today, that we are loved, that we're forgiven, that we're welcomed into your family. And dear Holy Spirit, I ask that you would increase your presence now, that you would fall on us wherever we are. Please would you come and empower us to be your witnesses to be people who share the good news naturally with those around us. I ask for creative ways to do that. Just pray for those who are gonna be sharing on social media this week, that you give them the words to say, the ways to do this. And Father, we pray that the message of the good news of Jesus will go to those people who are desperate to hear it, those people who are longing for a saviour who are longing to be rescued and freed and forgiven, those people who need peace and hope, those people who long to know they're loved. Please will you reach out to them through us this week. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us with power, that you would follow through. So as we pray for the sick, God, we ask that they would be healed. And even now, if you've got sickness in your body, just put your hand on it, whether it's a shoulder in pain, whether you've got stomach upsets or ladies problems or whatever your sickness is. Somebody I think maybe has got a pain in their left ankle, in the back of their left leg. 
Come Holy Spirit now, pour out your power and your presence on all these dear ones who are watching. Bodies be healed in Jesus' name. And I would love to hear what God is doing through us, his people, as we go and gossip the gospel, as we go and share the good news this week. So please let me know how you get on. God bless you. There'll be the coffee Zoom call in just a few moments. But as well as that, I just want to say go in peace to love and serve the Lord wherever he sends you this week. And God bless you. Bye bye.